You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, choir. Brother Robbie. An opportunity to be before you today. I do not take lightly. Uh, you'll turn to Ephesians 6. We'll continue with the series that we've been on. I got the call from the bullpen um, on Tuesday. Now, Brother Thomas was not going to be here, and he asked if I would come and fill in um, and preach the uh, sermon on parenting. Obviously, none of the experts were available. So you're stuck with me this morning. Um, There is no greater challenge in life than being a parent. Is that fair? And we look around the room this morning, and there are a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life. There are some of you in the the room who, who are children. Yeah, I noticed that we skipped that passage. And there's some of you who are newly married. You don't have children yet. This is for you. There are some of you who have not been able to have children. This is for you. There's some of you who have children. You're living it right now. It's definitely for us. There are those of you who have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. None of us get to walk away from this passage and go, Oh, well, the Lord is not speaking to me this morning. This passage applies to all of us in some way, form, or fashion. Now, there clearly is a focus, and I'm not going to let us off the hook on that. Because I think the words here are important, because I think for so many times, for so many years, in the American church in particular, we have allowed the church to take on a responsibility for what's supposed to happen with parents that the church was actually never supposed to have. And so I'm going to be real about that this morning um, as I took the hammer to my own toes earlier in the week. I want you to know I'm going to rightly divide the word of Scripture. This is not going to be thus says the word of Stephen. I'm going to read what the word says this morning. And we're going to talk about that together. If you don't like it, you can talk with the author. Um, But before we really unpack this passage in Ephesians 6, focusing on parenting, there are a few truths I think we need to remember, a few contexts that are very important. Because parenting is a frustrating job. It can be rewarding, frustrating. It can be, you you can have disappointment. You can have great pride as a parent. You can do all that in a matter of about five minutes. It's full of peaks and valleys, isn't it? And it's important that we develop a scriptural understanding of what it means to be a parent and how the church should kind of address that, foster that. And we're going to look at Ephesians 6 and unpack that. But a couple of things, four points I want to make before we get started that I think are foundational, that I think as a church and as individuals and as a society, the Bible says this is true. We need to embrace them before we can ever dive into what Ephesians 6 is talking to us about. Number one, because of the fall in Genesis 3, are you ready? There are no perfect parents. I know you think there are those families that have it all figured out. You know, the ones who walk into church and everything's in place perfectly. Trust me, that's not how they got in the car this morning. 
Every family has dysfunction. And if a family tells you they don't, they've already shown you what their problem is. It's lying. Number two, children are gifts from the Lord. You hear me on that? Children are gifts from the Lord and should not be viewed as a burden. We have allowed our society to train our minds to view children as a financial burden. And I think we need to repent before the Lord for that. Because they are a blessing from the Lord. Number three. Here's the yet part. Yet, children, regardless of how cute and adorable they can be, and they can be at times, are at heart, are you ready? Selfish, sinful sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. If our children have not placed their trust in Christ, sin rules their heart. We must not allow them to see their sinful behavior as anything except sin, we must not be dismissive of it and call it cute. It's not. It's egregious to the heart of God. At the core, it has separated them from Him. Finally, the way we raise our children, are you ready? Because we, we always quote the, the passage that says, if any man in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. Old, what things have passed away? Old things have passed away. All things are become new. That includes the way we parent. As believers, we must raise our children to markedly different from the way the rest of the world does. Just because the world says this is how you ought to raise a child doesn't mean that's how you need to raise a child. What does this say when it comes to raising a child? Because that's what matters. For too long, we've allowed Disney and Oprah Winfrey and every magazine article and blog post on the, face of, on the face of planet Earth to tell us how to raise our children. And it's high time we got back to how the Lord tells us to raise our children. That's what this word says. In fact, here's what Paul said. It's the chapter before the one we're going to read. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. We're going to read this twice today. It's so rich. Write this one down. Dig into it this week. It doesn't matter what phase of life you're in, from child up to senior adult. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. So then, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time. I love the King James there, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Any doubts there? Reminded of that yesterday, right? The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery. But you ready? Here's the key. If we want to be good parents, good grandparents, good great-grandparents, listen to this last after the but part. But be filled with the Spirit. Because we can't do what God's about to ask us to do in and of our own self. We're not capable of it. It's just not there. So let's read the passage together. That was the warm-up. Here's the fastball. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, 
Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction, here's the key, of the Lord. Let's read that one more time. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as we open your word We need your spirit to guide our hearts and our minds. Lord, we are woefully sinful people. We've sang about that this morning, but we sit on the grace side of the cross. So, Lord, let us hear from you this morning how we can best live in a way that reflects your character and your nature. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Lord, be with us today. Amen. So the word fathers, I'm going to break this apart like a good English teacher would this morning. Fathers here can, can, hear me, mean parents. Now I think in the modern context, it's okay for us to do that, all right? I don't think that we're misinterpreting Scripture to say parents here. However, in the original context, there is zero doubt what Paul meant. He was talking specifically to the dads. And no, it's not June and this isn't Father's Day. But there is a weight that God intends to sit upon the Father. It's there. We can't escape it in Scripture. It's all over the place. Whether we modernly like it or not, it's there. Remember, this passage is written to first century people living in a Roman world. And a guy by the name of Leon Morris, he was a, a, a scholar who understood Roman society. Here's what he said. This teaching would have been revolutionary in its day. In the first century Roman Empire, fathers could do pretty much what they wanted to their families. Are you ready for this? They could even sentence a member of their family to death if they wanted. That's how much power a father had In first century Roman society, and I got news for you, it wasn't a ton different in Hebrew society either. Fathers had a lot of authority. And maybe from that perspective, a little bit too much. And Paul's saying, look, there's a way that you handle authority as a father, as a parent. There's a way that you handle that. It's important that we recognize that while this word can and does mean both parents... And we can take it today to say, hey, that's moms and dads. Maybe your grandparents raising kids. Maybe whatever. This does not, gentlemen, absolve fathers from being part of the child-rearing process. Because a lot of times what we do in modern context, we twist it to modern context to make us feel better and to let dads off the hook. And this does not do that. In fact, I think it adds extra weight to that role. It was never intended to be a mother or father's job to raise children alone. I commend and pray for those who do that. That is a tough job for whatever reason it may happen. But fathers in this society, in America, have been very absent for a myriad of reasons. I've seen it firsthand in my career for 23 years. And I've seen the terrible side effects of children who have a dad who's nowhere to be found. 
And it's sad. Because it's not what God intended. Right? So in many ways, yes, this is meant for the men in the room. But let there be no mistake. All of us need to hear it. All of us need to heed it. Right? Regardless of what our family looks like. We need to help single moms and dads, grandparents who are raising kids, foster and adoptive parents, along with the traditional context of the family as a church. We need to understand we have a role to play in helping parents with their kids. We do. It is important that we understand that. All right, so so Paul says fathers. I think we've laid the context that that means everybody in the room on some level, form, or fashion. If you're a kid yet, that's not you yet, but later on in life, you're going to need this. Don't turn this off. Okay? Next, Paul says what not to do. And this is the part that's uncomfortable. This is the part we don't like. This is where Paul tells us what the problem so often is with parenting. Look at what he says here. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, some of you kids are sitting here and you sit up and you go, oh, my parents are not supposed to make me angry. That's not what this passage said. Let me be clear. Doesn't mean our kids are always happy with us, does it? Doesn't. That they're never angry over the type of punishment or chores or whatever we've given them. That would be ludicrous. And by the way, would be contradictory to Scripture, wouldn't it? Because Scripture does tell us that parents are supposed to discipline their children. That's, that's a spiritual context. It's scriptural. It's there. So what did Paul mean? What did God mean through Paul when these words, do not provoke your children to anger, were written? Well, the word provoke means to rouse to wrath, to exasperate, to embitter, to create bitterness within the heart of the child. Colossians 3.21, which is the companion passage to this one, says it this way. Fathers, do not, exasper- do not exasperate. It's the same word as provoke. Your children, that they might not become discouraged. That's what it says. So parents, we must recognize what kills the spirit. What kills the drive of our children? What causes them to move from flourishing, growing human beings to wilting flowers? We've got to recognize that. Because for those of you who've already finished the process of raising kids, every kid is different. And what strengthens one might wilt another. Is that fair? And that's a reality. We've got to know what causes our children to be beaten down, what causes them to be cowered in the corner or enraged. Paul's saying that children should not be berated, manipulated, and embittered by their parents. That's not our job. It's not. That's not what we're supposed to do. What's interesting is the Bible gives us several examples of parents who caused this very response in the lives of their children. In our society, which is quick to point fingers, would say, well, you can point out a lot of other examples, but I'm going to stick to the book if that's fine with you. And I'm going to show you some examples from Scripture about how parents embittered their own children, how parents created the response Paul's talking about here in the lives of their children. So we're going to look at a few examples of things that provoke children. First of all, we see that, hear me, 
selfish anger provokes. Be careful for the adjective there. I didn't say anger. I said what? Selfish anger provokes. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Verses 30 through 34. I'm going to read it. It says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, Listen to what this dad says to his son. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, sin and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. You see how Paul's talking to his son? I mean, how Saul's talking to his son? How he's manipulating his son? Look at what happens. Jonathan said to his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Verse 33, but Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table, and the Bible says he rose in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. There is righteous anger. That is not what Saul had here. Remember, James says the anger of man cannot achieve the righteousness of God. Did you see the response Saul's actions roused in Jonathan? He rose in fierce anger and was grieved so much he couldn't eat. Mom and dad, our selfish anger must not, cannot, and should not define our relationship with our children. That's a reality. It's one thing that Paul says here. Another thing that provokes. We saw that selfish anger does. You know what else provokes? Favoritism. Favoritism provokes. Think about this. Isaac and Rebekah. Right? Who's Isaac's favorite? Esau. Who's Rebekah's favorite? Jacob. What'd they do? Well, Rebecca manipulates Jacob to take the blessing from Esau. And this manipulation, because of favoritism, leads not just to a temporary division of the family. Jacob has to move out of the country. Because favoritism was shown. But the most famous example of favoritism is with Joseph, isn't it? And we read here that Jacob, who, by the way, Receive favoritism from his mom. Guess what Jacob does? He picks a favorite. You see the cycle that we're creating? Right? Genesis 37, verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph, here's the key, more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a varicolored tunic. We know about the coat of many colors, don't we? Verse 4, listen to this and let it sink. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, and so they hated Joseph and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Parents, if present, favoritism is evident to our children and not only damages their relationship with us, but with each other. Favoritism provokes. And what else provokes? 
If you have daughters, this is big. It's big with sons too, but it's really big with daughters. In fact, the example the Bible gives us is two daughters feeling unloved provokes. Children need appropriate affection from their parents. Genesis 31, 14 and 15. Jacob comes to his two wives. That's a different story for a different day. And he says, we're going to leave. We're going to go back to the land that I'm from. Are you okay with leaving your dad, Laban? And I want you to listen to what the daughters said together, both girls, both women, about their dad. Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. In other words, to our dad, we were nothing more than financial gain. These young women felt unloved by their father. And they paid, and, and their dad paid a price. And by the way, if you go back and you look at the story, how did this affect the way these young women related to each other and to Jacob? Because what do we see over and over again? They're manipulating for Jacob's love. They're manipulating for Jacob because they're hungry for it. Why are they hungry for it? Because where did they not get it? They didn't get it here. Finally, neglect and inaction provoke. Second Samuel chapters 13 through 15. Not going to read those, but we, we get a story about David. We talk, we read a lot of great things about David. We know about David's great sin, but one of the things we gloss over a lot of times is how David did neglect his kids. In verse chapters 13 through 15 of Second Samuel talk about that. Where Amnon acts in an untoward way toward his own sister. David doesn't even address the sin with his son Amnon. He basically lets it go. And Absalom, who is furious about it, goes and kills his own brother because David was inactive there. And then what David does is for the next several years refuses to even speak to Absalom. He neglects him. He pushes him away. So for those of you who are older in this room and who may have some wayward kids, I want you to hear me. Regardless of their age, rejecting and neglecting our children is not biblical. And it is a violation, it is a provocation to anger, according to Scripture. Right? Those are, those are hard things. And there's a reason that Paul gives us those things. Because in our hearts, there's a tendency sometimes towards some of those things. Right? God gave us the children to raise. I want you to hear me. He didn't give them to society to raise. And he sure didn't give them the technology to raise. It's easy to hand them a device. But that's not what we're called to do. Now, Paul changes gears and he says, okay, Talked about what you shouldn't do. Now let's, let's go to what you should. He says, but bring them up. The word bring them up means to nourish. It means to nurture. All right, fellas, can we be honest for a minute? The words nourish and nurture are not often associated with us. Is that fair? 
Is that, is that all right? Well, yeah, nourish. <clears throat> I need some nourishment. That's when it's associated with us, right? It's not natural for us a lot of times to have that nourishing, nurturing. There's a reason. Remember, Paul's primarily writing this to who? He didn't have to tell moms to nurture their babies. That comes naturally. We're like, put a little dirt on that. It'll be all right. Dads, anybody else ever said that one? It'll be all right. You know, let him. That's, that's a lot to do with our wiring, right? But that's not what Paul says here, is it? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't want our kids to grow up and be strong. Right? But there also needs to be a care for their nourishment. And I'll tell you where we as American dads are really good at that. We're really good at working a job to pay the to pay to put food on the table. That's not what this is talking about. That's not where this is going. At all. Men, we're supposed to love our wives sacrificially. We've talked about that. Be nurturing and nourishing toward our kids. We're to be, dare I say it, gentle and kind. As well as firm and truthful. This is not part of our wiring, but we need to be reminded. Remember, I told you we'd come back to this verse from the beginning. Remember, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And at the very end of it, he said, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And men, if we're going to love our wives the way we're supposed to, and we're going to nourish and nurture our kids the way we're supposed to, we better be read up, prayed up, and walking by the Spirit. Because that's the only way we can do it. We can't do it in and of ourselves. It's not natural for most of us. It runs counter to the way that we're wired. We must be filled with the Spirit to bring up our children the way we're supposed to. So how are we supposed to bring them up? The Bible gives us two ways, but the two ways are kind of intertwined, right? He said Paul directs us to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, I want to focus on that last, those last three words first. Not the discipline and instruction, but in the Lord. Here's the key. Our tendency, again, is to look at culture to gain understanding about how to raise our kids. How are they raising them over here? How are they raising them over here? It's not what Paul's saying. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. As parents, we're called, hear me, We are called to be the disciplers of our children. That's our responsibility. We are supposed to be the ones who point them toward Jesus. Because the world wants to point them everywhere else. In the grand scheme of eternity, hear me, it's not our son's ability to hit the curveball or throw the touchdown pass that matters. It's not our daughter's ability to be the ballerina, the homecoming queen, or the valedictorian that matters. Those things are not bad, but they're not what Paul's talking about here. And because of that, those things should not be our primary focus when we parent. So what is our primary focus? To bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the things of God. They should be more familiar with the things of God than what a screen pass looks like in football. They should be more familiar with the things of God than how to color coordinate and accessorize. 
But that's not the way we operate in society. This is one of the ways we've allowed the world to infiltrate the church way too much. I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun with our kids and teach them those things. There's nothing wrong with them, but they shouldn't be primary. So what does it mean to provide discipline? We think we know this one. Where's that woodshed? Right? It's in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Anyway, so. Anyway. So. Sorry, Adam. Provide discipline. Clearly, this word in the original language has a physical element to it. It does. Clearly, there's no doubt that Scripture encourages us to use appropriate, non-abusive, physical discipline with our children. That's a, anybody that says otherwise has either not read the full counsel of Scripture or ignores the full counsel of Scripture. It's there. But discipline should not always be physical. Nor should we limit the scope of this word to mean that kind of discipline. In fact, the word means the whole training and education of our children. You hear that? Whole training. This is where the church comes in. The whole training and education of our children. You're a grandparent. The whole training and education. I'm going to tell you who instilled in me more to read my Bible than anybody else in my life. It was my godly grandmother. Why? Because it never failed when I was with her. What did she do? We read Scripture together. Every night we read Scripture together. What a great legacy my grandmother gave me because we did that. You hear that, grandparents? Don't neglect that. That's important. That's a big deal. What Paul reminds us here is that there are commands, admonitions, reproof, and punishment. To raise our kids in the discipline of the Lord means that we instruct them in the things of the Lord. We are to be the primary spiritual influence on the life of our children. So what I'm about to say obviously runs... Dangerous. Our children's minister, our youth minister, our Sunday school teacher are very important. But shame on us if the first time our children heard a biblical truth is from any of those individuals. It's not their job to disciple our children. It's their job who walk alongside us as we disciple our children. That's what they're supposed to do. Now, to best understand the picture of how this looks, we must include the second part, the discipline and the instruction. The second word means to provide admonition and exhortation. One, One author said it means to counsel about avoiding and stopping certain behaviors when they are improper, right? And also to address the behaviors that should be dealt with. So, to fully unpack this portion, I think there's some truths that we need to take away. First of all, as parents, we should provide spiritual instruction to our children by showing them the right way and identifying the wrong way. We're very good at don't, 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 don't. But it's just as important to say do, do, do. This is the way that you should go. 
we must, first of all, teach and live out the principles of Scripture with our children. It is important that we do that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them. They're on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. At the end of it, Joshua says, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We need to spend time reading and discussing the word of God together as a family. That's one of the ways we raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Secondly, we must provide correction and discipline for our children. It is important that our children are corrected when they make a mistake. Why? Because God's Word tells us to, first and foremost. It says it here in Ephesians. It also says it in Proverbs 29, 17. Listen, correct your son. He will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. That's what it said. Not only does God instruct us to discipline but he also models discipline for us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline comes from a loving heart because I want what's best for you, right? Does it? Thirdly, it helps our children, hear me here, it helps our children understand that sin is primarily an offense, an offense to God. When we do not address sin in the life of our children, when we let them get away with things and we don't address it, what we are doing is saying sin is okay. And God never says that sin is okay. We must discipline our children because they sin against the Lord. What did David say in Psalm 53 against you and you only have I sinned? He recognized his sin was against who? God and our children must recognize that their sin Offends holy God. It is, well, they're little kids. Good. That's a great time to start. When those hearts are moldable and bendable, that's a great time to start saying, hey, listen, when we tell lies, that makes God sad. Because he said, don't tell lies. You know? Here's a big one. Failure to provide discipline can have a catastrophic result on the lives of our children. Read, go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, and read about Eli and how he refused to address sin in the lives of his sons and how they turned the priesthood into a mockery. And God punished that entire family because the dad refused to address sin in the life of his children because he refused to deal with it. He turned a blind eye to it. Parents, we cannot turn a blind eye to our children's sin. We must correct it. As parents, this is big. We must also admit when we mess up and ask God and our children to forgive us. That is one of the most important things we can model for our children. Hey, I lost my cool. I should not have lost my cool. Please forgive me. What I said there was wrong. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Doesn't matter if they're your adult children or your young children. That's important. So I want to close this morning with four challenges for us as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as families together. Four things, and then we're, I promise we're done after this. First of all, parents and grandparents, remember we all fail in our attempts to parent this way. 
Remember that God gives us grace and that nothing can separate us from his love. Don't wallow in your mistakes. God provides us with grace and mercy. Do not beat yourself up over your mistakes. There is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Leave it there. Secondly, parents, let us take seriously our call to disciple our children and always keep in mind that our primary purpose is to point their hearts toward Jesus and the gospel as we instruct and disciple them. And grandparents, encourage your children to raise their kids this way. And if they won't do it, you do it. But somebody's got to do it. Third, as a church, let us encourage one another. Pray for the parents in our congregation. They've got a hard job. Culture is not making it any easier to raise children who are godly. They need your prayers. Walk alongside them. Encourage them. Don't criticize them. Help point their children to the gospel. If you've got them in Sunday school, you do everything you can to help those kids recognize their need for Jesus as their Savior, to point them in that direction. Let us be a church that promotes family-centered gospel ministry. Because that's important. And finally, if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're listening online. You're not a follower of Jesus. The grace that I talked about, and we do have to show grace to our kids when we discipline we do have to say to them sometimes, listen, listen, what you did is wrong, but your repentant heart's a big deal to me right now. And I, I want you to understand what grace is. And we have to model that. Because grace has been given to us. Because we all sin. We've sang about that. We've talked about that from the outset today. We all sin. And that sin is egregious to God. And it separates us from Him. But He showed us grace by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. But he rose three days later. And the Bible says if we place our faith in him, that we are saved. And we'll spend eternity with him, that our sin no longer separates us from God. And if you've never responded in faith to the gospel, I urge you today to do that. We're going to come, we're going to sing. After I pray, I'll be down front if you want to pray, me to pray with you. You want to pray where you are, that's fine. But don't let these words fall empty. Don't let God's words go in one ear and out the other. Let us be changed by them. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning challenged by your word. Um, Lord, needing you to guide and direct us through your spirit. So, Lord, I pray today that you would do that. Lord, you move among hearts. Lord, you know the need in each heart and each life. And I just pray. Lord, that you speak now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.